by proclaiming to the word of our God as we could read it from Peter and Genesis. And I ask your attention in particular for what the Lord has recorded in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 7, the first part of both of those verses. And there we read the following words. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. And then verse 7, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. In response to the sermon, we sing Psalm 18, stanza 8. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, We've just had around the globe the 100th anniversary of International Women's Day. And then we're told women's rights have come a long way in the last century, also in Canada. And we're also told we've still got a long ways to go. We open this morning the word of our God and read from 1 Peter 3. And yes, Peter says much here about women and men, wives and husbands. International Women's Day and all the questions and the philosophy that comes with that. 1 Peter 3 confronts us then with so many questions. The apostle says that wives are to be submissive to their husbands. Isn't that archaic? Do we really have to expect that of our sisters today? Sarah called her husband master, and that's what our women are to do. The apostle says, verse 7, that the woman is the weaker partner. Isn't that condescending? What do we really have to make of what the apostle says in this portion of scripture? The apostle Peter congregation wrote his letter to a particular audience. Chapter 1, verse 1. God's elect. Strangers in the world. Scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, he writes. Various people in various circumstances. He writes in order to teach these exiles and strangers in the world how Christians are to live in an ungodly society. In answering that question, how Christians are to live in an ungodly society, Peter has instruction also for marriage, for husbands and for wives. An instruction that he gives to these Christians for the good of the society around them. I summarize the sermon this morning then with this theme. A biblically built marriage catches the world's attention. In unpacking that theme, I ask your attention for three points. First is the reason for Peter's instruction. The second is the content of Peter's instruction. And in third place, the fruit of Peter's instruction. 
We need to notice, first of all, congregation, that the passage from 1 Peter 3 about wives and husbands is not an isolated passage in Peter's letter. That's clear from the way in which Peter begins both verse 1 and verse 7, wives and husbands in the same way. And the question arises, in the same way as what? And there are commentators who draw our attention then to chapter 2, verse 18. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. And then we're told, wives, you see, are to submit to your husbands in the same way. Submit to your husbands as slaves to your masters uh, with all respect. I make a point, congregation, of telling you that that is not right. That is not right because, number one, Scripture never presents the woman as a slave or on the level of a slave. It pleased the Lord God in the beginning to create one man, Adam, and God put him in the garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. And the Lord saw him busy there. And God said, it is not good for a man to be alone, says Genesis chapter 2. And so the Lord God says, I will make a helper suitable for him. The fact that she is a helper for him does not make her his slave. And I say that because the word helper has an entirely different connotation in Scripture. We began this service confessing that our help is in the name of the Lord. And it's the same word. And we recognize very well that God being our help does not mean that God is our slave. On the contrary. Know the picture of Genesis 1. I'll come back to it later. Genesis 2. Is that of the two, Adam and Eve being one in heart, one in being, a unity in the two of them, so that she is his helper, without whom he cannot live, and she receives her purpose in him. That women are regarded as slaves is what you get when you disregard the biblical instruction of the beginning. And a classic example of that disregard and the resulting difficult position of women is what you see today in the Middle East. But there's a second reason why I say that the reference cannot be to 1 Peter 2 verse 18, that wives are to submit to their husbands as slaves to their masters. Because verse 7 of our chapter says husbands do it in the same way. And we understand quite well that, Paul, that Peter is not telling husbands that they're to be slaves of their wives. So what then, congregation, is the reference? Wives in the same way be submissive to your husbands. And husbands in the same way. What's the reference to? And it is congregation to the first word that we read from Peter this morning. In chapter 2, verse 11. And 12. Peter wants to give his readers instruction how to live in a pagan world. 
And that instruction is caught in verse 11 of chapter 2. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. That instruction, how the Christians to live in this world, the apostle unpacks in various social settings. Chapter 2, verse 13 and following, he unpacks this theme in relation to government, in relation to authority. Chapter 2, verse 18 and following, he unpacks the same theme, slaves in relation to masters. We would say employees in relation to employers. How do you treat your boss? How do you do your job? And the answer is, you're aliens and strangers in the world. As you do your work, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, including perhaps an unbelieving boss, that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds and glorify God. Well, now the apostle unpacks the same thrust in relation to wives. Chapter 3, verse 1. Wives in the same way. And husbands, verse 7. Again, in the same way. Live your life in such a way in your marriage that others may see what God is all about. And then we need to realize, congregation, that the apostle is giving his instruction to people who live in a particular context, of course. And the context of Peter's time... Well, the Apostle explains that in chapter 4. If you take your Bible and turn there to verse 3, you'll get a sense of what the context is in which these wives and husbands were living. Says the Apostle in 4 verse 3, You have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. And what is that? Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Now, the first five words mentioned there catch the notion of self, the body, satisfying your urgings, be that for food, be that for sex. It all boils down to detestable idolatry, the worship of self. That is the context in which the apostles' addressees were living. We understand it's a context not unlike what we are used to in our culture. Very much in Canada today, the worship of the self, the worship of the body, the satisfying of your urges, your cravings, your lusts. But the Christian, says Peter has given this kind of a lifestyle away. The Christian's been born anew. And the apostle unpacks that in chapter 1. And because the Christian's been born anew, he's got a whole different focus. He believes that God, the Creator, is real. 
more is his father in Jesus Christ. This God has given his son. So there is redemption. This life then is not as good as it gets. The Christ who conquered and ascended is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And exactly because this life is not as good as it gets, the Christian recognizes his lifestyle needs to be different from what it used to be before he became a Christian. Different from the pagans around him. That is why the apostle has said in chapter 4 verse 3, you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do. But a difference in manner of living... Being holy before God brings about a reaction from those with whom you go to work or those with whom you are married and live in the same household if they do not come to faith. And that's what the apostle touches on in chapter 4, verse 4. You Christians, he says, have changed and now these pagans, they think it's strange that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, drinking, and they heap abuse on you. They heap abuse on you. Like what? Like calling you names. You're weird. Strange people. And that is why, congregation... Peter addresses the letter, chapter 1, verse 1, God's elect strangers in the world. That's how the world saw them. Odd, queer people. Now, it's one thing, congregation, to say to a Christian, don't do this. In marriage, for example, wives don't do this or husbands don't do that. But it's harder to tell them instead what they should do. What's the positive way a Christian ought to live? Peter has said, chapter 2, abstain from sinful desires and then, verse 12, live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. Now, what does that look like in marriage? How is a wife to live with her husband? How is a husband to live with his wife? And that's what Peter wants to address. Why I'm telling you all this by way of introduction, really, we need to fix in our minds congregation that Peter is not saying in our chapter all there is to say about Christian marriage. But Peter is addressing the question of how Christians are to live in marriage in such a way so as to draw others to Christ. The passage we have in front of us has an evangelistic, an apologetic motif. Peter's eye is on the outsider, on how they read the Christian and understand from the Christian's behavior what God is like. And because Peter's eye is on the outsider, 
our eyes as readers of Peter's letter also needs to be on the outsider. And then, yes, our country and our world remembers the 100th anniversary of International Women's Day. All right, then. How will the outsider in today's culture read you so that you get to be a clear spokesman for what your God is like? That's the question Peter's addressing here. That brings us to our second point, the content of Peter's instruction. The apostle addresses wives first and husbands second, and so I'll do it in the same way. The wives that Peter addresses congregation were married, or some of them were, to unbelieving men. That's chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. These unbelieving husbands lived in the culture we talked about before. And so it's to be expected that some of these husbands had the form of behavior caught in chapter 4, verse 3, and that is, these husbands lived in debauchery, in lust, in drunkenness, in orgies, carousing, enslaved by detestable idolatry. We understand for such a Christian wife, in that kind of a home, that's hard work. And then we wonder, what is Peter's advice to such a woman? What his instruction is? Moved by the Holy Spirit, beloved. Peter says to such a woman, be submissive to your husbands. Really? That's what Peter says. And he has to say that because that is the revelation of the Lord God. I mentioned already what the Lord has revealed in Genesis chapter 2 about Adam and Eve. She is his helper. He is her head. That is the divine ordinance of God. Underlined and stressed in page after page after page of Holy Writ. So when the Apostle Peter addresses women, Christian women, addressed to pagan husbands, what the Apostle does is underline the scriptural imperative. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. We find it intriguing and perhaps a bit disturbing. Ought Peter not to urge these Christian wives to stand up against their unbelieving husbands? Wouldn't that be the better way to go? Because after all, these unbelieving husbands shouldn't oppress their wives. I want to go back for a second now to what we read in 1 Peter 2. 
Verse 18, Peter spoke about slaves submitting to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. And you need to notice, congregation, that there too Peter did not say, Slaves, rise up against your masters. Even though, biblically speaking, slavery is immoral and wrong. But the apostle does not encourage rebellion. Does not encourage bucking the system. Why not? Because it's not about the self. It's not about my rights. But it's all about how can I serve the other. If slaves would buck against their masters, if wives will buck their husbands, what's the unbelieving master, what's the unbelieving husband going to respond with? Is that going to draw him closer to the Lord God? Or in fact give him something to complain about? And we understand in the context of that society, it gives him a lot to complain about. And so the apostle congregation tells the Christian women, do not embarrass your man publicly by refusing to submit. Instead, accept the system as it is in Greece in your time, for the apostle wrote to a Greek population. Accept the system as it is, and within that system live as a Christian. And we understand that's the principle valid today still. In whatever system Canada today represents, here live as a Christian. Now how do you do that? Peter draws it out for his readers. I refer again to chapter 4, verse 3. That whole emphasis on the body, right? Living in debauchery and lust and drunkenness and orgies and carousing. There's an emphasis on the body and therefore on dress. How do you clothe yourself? And then Peter says... But you Christian ladies are different. Instead of emphasizing the body, emphasizing the external, the clothes, the hair, and so on, says the Apostle chapter 3, verse 3, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, verse 4, your beauty should be that of the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. The emphasis on the inside. And then the apostle talks about this gentle and quiet spirit. What is that? And it turns out, congregation, that the terms the apostle uses here appear elsewhere in Scripture to refer to heavenly qualities. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in Matthew chapter 11, 
said to his hearers, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For, says Jesus, I am gentle and humble in heart. And there's the same word, that gentle and quiet spirit. You find the same in the Sermon on the Mount. It says, Jesus, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Same word, the meek. The Apostle Paul mentioned it again as the fruit of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness. We understand these words. Heavenly qualities that that, that flow out of entrusting oneself to the Lord's care, and so being at peace within oneself, and that peace within oneself expresses itself to others in gentleness, in humility. The example of our Lord Jesus Christ needs mention here. The Apostle ended chapter 2 with speaking about how Jesus Christ suffered on the cross. Verse 23, when they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, what did he do? He entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. He gave it over to the Lord. And so our Master, our Savior, could exude a spirit of gentleness, of humility, of meekness, even as he suffered unrighteously at the hands of his oppressors. This we understand is Psalm 62. In God alone my soul finds rest, for in his faithfulness I trust. And Peter says, you wise, you live with ungodly men, pagans, do exactly that. Entrust yourself to your God. And so, a gentle and quiet spirit. Focus on that. And we understand, is it not, congregation, that that spirit speaks louder in persuading the husband of the truth of the gospel than endless gold and clothes and fine hair. The beauty of the heart, not of the body, is what lasts. The beauty of the body is passing. We all recognize that. A 20-year-old becomes a 40-year-old and gains a lot of weight and a lot of flab. The beauty of the body is passing. But the beauty of the heart, that's what can grow and become ever more beautiful as the months and the years go past. We understand then that this beauty of the heart is what fathers and mothers are to press upon their daughters. The point ultimately is not what do you look like in the mirror, but the point ultimately is what you look like before God. 
What sort of a heart do you have? And so this too is what we parents need to impress upon our boys. What are our boys to look for? A girl with outward beauty or a girl with beauty of the heart? But it raises more questions, doesn't it? This gentle and quiet spirit, what does it in fact look like in the context of submission to the sort of men described in chapter 4, verse 3, men who give themselves to debauchery and lust and drunkenness and orgies, etc.? Isn't such a woman vulnerable? Open to being misused? And we would say, yes. We try to imagine living with a man as described in chapter 4, verse 3. And we say, I wouldn't want to be married to a man like that. Insensitive, callous husband. Bit of a brute. And I've got to submit. I draw your attention, congregation, to what the Apostle writes in chapter 3, verse 5. He speaks about this unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, then adds in verse 5, This is the way the holy women of the past, to put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. Who put their hope in God, and we hear an echo of what we sang from Psalm 62, in God alone, my soul finds rest. And the apostle mentions an example. Verse 6. They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. Abraham. We know him as a godly man. A man who walked close to God. We also read together a portion of Abram's history from Genesis chapter 12. He'd come into the land of promise and was scarcely settled there and found there was a famine in the land. So what's he to do with all his possessions? How's he to care for his family, his wife? His decision is to go to Egypt. There he understands his food. But there's the question. Is Egypt a good place for Abram to take his wife? Abram himself, congregation, recognizes it's not a good place to go. After all, verse 11 of Genesis 12, As they were about to enter Egypt, Abram said to his wife, I know you're a beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they'll say, that's his wife, they'll kill me. They'll let you live. They'll kill Abram. Why? Because Abram says, they'll want you. Why do they want her? If they're going to go so far as to kill Abram, what do they want her for? We understand they're going to abuse her. And Abram's okay with that? He's going to take her to Egypt? Brothers? Would you be okay with that? 
we'd say, you know what? We need women's rights. We can't have husbands like that. So what, what should Sarah do? Should Sarah get angry, disappointed, refuse to follow her man, return to her father's house? Sisters, what would you do? The Apostle Peter tells us what Sarah did. Says he in chapter 3, verse 5, she put her hope in God. Recognize that Abram was the man that God had given, so she entrusts herself to God's care and follows her man where her man leads her. That's the points of verse 6. Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him her master. In her deeds, she obeyed, she followed, she went. And that's to say, says Peter in verse 6, at the end of the verse, she did not give way to fear. Result? Yes, they got to Egypt. Yes, the Egyptians saw her. Yes, they praised her to Pharaoh. Yes, she was taken from Abram, brought to Pharaoh's harem. And now she was very vulnerable to men driven by debauchery, lust, orgies, carousing. And we would say... Obviously, her confidence in God is misplaced. Psalm 62 isn't true. She couldn't sing it. You can't sing it. But notice, congregation, what happens next. Chapter, Genesis 12, verse 17. The Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. The Lord stepped in because because he is faithful. And the result is she received deliverance. Her hope in God was not futile. Pharaoh calls upon Abram. What have you done? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Look, there she is. Now get out of here. And they went back to Canaan. You see, congregation, Sarah's hope in God was not disappointed. And now Peter says to the Christian ladies he's addressing, You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Do what is right, and that includes be submissive to your husband. And your God, your God will look after you. That's the promise. Psalm 62 stands for Sarah and for you. The apostle moves on to address also the Christian husband. How is the husband to treat his wife? 
as a slave, as a thing, as property, source of entertainment. It was the habit in the culture Peter's addressing. Even in some way as it is the habit of our culture, she is a source of entertainment. But Peter says to the husbands, husband in the same way, remember your aliens and strangers in the world live in such a way that others see your good behavior and glorify God. Husbands too, be considerate as you live with your wives. Be considerate, says our translation. The Greek has lived together according to knowledge. And there is a reference to Genesis chapter 4. And you know from Genesis chapter 4, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain, says our translation. And the older among us will remember that King James and the RSV had... Adam knew his wife, Eve. And knew is not a euphemism for intercourse. But the word knew, to know, is means exactly that. Adam knew his wife so intimately, so well, he knew what was going on deep inside her. This is the one flesh of Genesis 2. When Adam received Eve, he burst out into song and said, She is now flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. She is one with me. That's a unity of spirits, a unity of being. He understands her feelings. The result is that he nurtures her so well that she feels safe with him. And is that sense of nurturing, of feeling safe with him, that generates in turn a oneness of body, that she can give herself. And the result of that in in, in Genesis 4 is Eve became pregnant. Now we do well to know, congregation, that sexual intimacy without that oneness of heart, that knowing as God wants it to be between man and woman, is below what God has ordained and does damage in some way. So Peter says, husbands, live with your wives according to knowledge. Know her well. And so, treat her with respect. She can be vulnerable. She is vulnerable to a husband's misuse if he's going to be that brute. And she's the weaker of the two. Or, as the Greek has it, She's the weaker vessel. Think of a clay pot. You drop it and it's broken. What would have happened to Sarah if she'd become Pharaoh's trophy? We understand. Something would have broken. Badly. Deep inside her. So Peter says, in a society where men dominate women... He says to the men, the Christian husbands of 1 Peter 3, know your wife. Know her well. What's going on deep inside. Respect her. Why? You're heirs together of the grace of life. You can pray together. Point of it all? 
the Christian husband, obviously, is to have a very different attitude than the husbands of the society around them. In Peter's day and in our day, there's to be an attitude of, how can I serve my wife? That in turn others see something of who God is. And so we're at our last point, the fruit of Peter's instruction. What congregation do you think had to change amongst Peter's readers? They were normal men, normal women, married to normal men and women, broken people all. And therefore struggles within oneself, within one's marriage, with the people at work, with your children. And Peter says, husbands, wives, do not expect your spouse to be perfect. You just be the spouse that God wants you to be, even in your broken situation. In your marriage, live in such a way that the neighbors see you, and they will, and glorify God on account of what they see in you. Says Peter, do not forget that you have the privilege to showcase the gospel in the way you live in your marriage. What it means for us? We're through the same congregation. The Lord's put us in Canada today, in this community. For a reason. Live in such a way in your marriage. Do those around you see what the Lord is like? So, wives, submit to your husbands with that gentle and quiet spirit. Husbands, respect your wife. Know what's going on inside her. More, fathers, mothers, teach your children this way. can be difficult, can be challenging, but yours, beloved, is the privilege to be allowed testimony in our modern world of how the Lord God has created marriage to be. And yes, you can live as God wants you to live. The Christ who died is triumphant, given his spirit. He is the shepherd and overseer of your soul. He supplies your need. So, how shall you live as Christian husbands, Christian wives, Christian boys and girls in today's world? Like this. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds and they glorify God. And that's what it's all about. Amen.